Thank you for listening to Ask the Pastor, a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your host, Allie Keaton, and I'm really excited to dive into our question this week. This week's question comes to us from Megan, and she asks, Hi, Pastor Will. I want to know how you would answer an unbelieving friend who asks, Why do I need Christ? I've been discussing this with friends recently, and I enjoy learning different perspectives. Wow, what an important question, Megan. So thank you for it. Before I even dive in, I want to just affirm you for having those kinds of conversations with your friends. Uh, I'm not sure whether you mean that you've been discussing it with Christian friends in order to prepare yourself for those kinds of evangelistic conversations with unbelievers or whether you're discussing it directly with unbelieving friends. But either way, um, you're talking about it, and that's really important. So um, to me, and more importantly, I think it's clear biblically that this is why we're here as Christians. We're here to preach the gospel uh, in all the world, Mark 16, 15. We're here to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. And uh, yes, we are ultimately created to bring God glory, Isaiah 43, 7. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, every other way that God has designed for us to bring him glory by worshiping him, by growing in our knowledge of and, and our love for him, All these other ways are better accomplished in heaven. So to me, the only reason that God leaves us here after we've been saved doesn't just suck us up into heaven after our conversion is so that we can turn around and pay it forward to others to introduce them to Jesus. Um, How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard, Paul says in Romans 10, 14. So I think for us as believers, this is one of the most important, most pressing questions we have to be discussing, be ready to answer. Uh, Of all the questions that we need to be ready to answer, this is probably the most important, and here's why. Uh, My sister the other day asked me the question, uh, which is a related question we could spend a whole other episode on, uh, but I'll give you my short answer here. Why do you think that most most non-Christians aren't Christians? What's the reason that most non-Christians aren't believers? And we debated sort of back and forth for a while. You know, we, we have to contextualize our answers to that. I mean, the primary reason that... Uh, people in a remote village in the Himalayas uh, don't believe is very different than the reason my neighbors next door in Chesterfield don't believe. Uh, it also bears mentioning that even if we zoom in on just the average West County uh, St. Louisan, the reason that they give you for why they don't believe is likely going to be very different than the actual reason why they don't believe. And so, um, all of that said, though, my answer, uh, short answer for why most people in 21st century America who aren't Christians choose not to believe, I believe, is because they have no felt need for Jesus. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. This, this is where we circle back to Megan's question for today. If someone can get away with asking, you know, why do I even need Jesus? And they, they don't hear a compelling answer in response from a Christian in their life, then frankly, I've got to side with the unbeliever on this one. I mean, the burden of proof really should be on us as Christians to explain why they need Jesus and not the other way around. Uh, Gone are the days when it was just weird in this country not to at least be nominally Christian, when a person had to explain why they weren't in church on Sunday. That's not America today. And so we can rail against that as Christians. We can decry the decline of the mainstream culture into secularism and increasing atheism, or at least agnosticism, and probably most accurately of all, apathyism, that is simply not caring about religion. You're you're apathetic towards the whole idea of theism, of believing in God. We can rail against that, or we can see the glass is half full and we can realize 
that light shines bright, uh, brightest in the darkness, that salt is most flavorful in a bland world, and that really the church didn't benefit itself in a whole lot of ways from being filled with nominal Christians for, for years and years who are virtually indistinguishable from the world. Um, I mean, at least now we're weeding out much of the problem of hypocrisy in the church because those who were just there because it made them normal aren't coming anymore uh, and, and misrepresenting the name of Christ. So all that to say, uh, to actually try and answer Megan's question of why does an unbeliever need Jesus? Uh, why should I even care? Uh, if an unbeliever in your life is asking you this question, you will never have a more ready-made, slow-pitch softball, easy opportunity to share the gospel with someone than this. This person is begging to be told the gospel. And so here's how I would do it personally. Um, I, I gravitate towards the Socratic method. I think it's helpful. I think it allows you, without being patronizing, of course, to, to make sure that the person is tracking with you and on the same page step by step. Hopefully you're, you maybe even get them to actually admit their own need for Jesus. So for starters, I'd ask, okay, can we first agree that you didn't create yourself? The gift of life is just that. It's a gift that you didn't give yourself. No one's going to disagree with that. Okay, so follow up. So you'd admit that it's at least possible then that, that there's a higher power who created you, who created everything that we see and don't see. Let's just call him God. Maybe you don't buy into that, but the vast majority of, of us, people on earth, not just Christians, we, we agree that the, even the laws of physics maintain that you can't get something from nothing. So you call it the Big Bang if you like. Every effect has a cause. Someone or something had to cause that bang in the first place. Most of us, frankly, don't have the faith that it takes to be an atheist and believe that all of this is a mere result of random chance. Now, there is admittedly a lot behind that question. It's a loaded question, and perhaps they'd push back, and perhaps convincing them on this point would require a deeper dive into uh, the cosmological argument for the existence of God, the design argument, the moral argument. Uh, that's a whole separate podcast episode, um, and we've talked about that a little bit in, in previous ones. But let's just assume for the sake of this episode that the person fits in with, again, the majority of Americans today who uh, are more apatheist than anything. It's not that they adamantly reject the notion of God, uh, certainly not on well-informed scientific grounds um, for most people. They simply just don't see any relevance of God in their daily lives. And so let's assume they're with you and they say, okay, I, I acknowledge it's possible, maybe even likely, most probable that there is a higher power. You can call him God if you like. Okay, great. So then, follow-up question, would you be willing to acknowledge that if there's a God who created all this and created you and me, that if he created it all for his purposes, the Bible talks about this in terms of his glory. All creation was created to bring God glory, to worship and honor him. Uh, we're here for God's good pleasure. If there's a God and he decided to make us for his own good reasons, wouldn't it make sense that that kind of God might have some expectations about how we ought to live these lives that he's generously given us in this world that he's generously created for us? It's not totally dissimilar to a human parent. When you decide to have kids, you brought them into the world. You're the one taking care of them, providing for them. They're living under your roof. You have the right to set expectations about how they ought to live in your house as part of your family, right? Now, this could divulge into a whole conversation on free will and whether or not a, you know, a God who creates us with free will ought to expect us to play by his rules or not. But that's really just because this person is a sinner who wants to continue to do things her own way. 
the analogy of the human parent hopefully would help here. Um, of course, your child still has free will, but that fact doesn't change the fact that um, that child ought to play by the parent's rules. And if we as human fallible parents who make mistakes know better than our three-year-old kids how to best live, and as good parents we want to shepherd them in that direction, then how much more so uh, theoretically would an omniscient, all-loving Heavenly Father do the same for us? Um, okay, so assuming they're still on board with you at this point, they've acknowledged a Creator God who has every right uh, to set expectations of the way His created beings ought to live. Every designer makes things with an expressed purpose. Otherwise, why create that thing at all? So if a watch's purpose is to tell time, and a tree's purpose is to provide us oxygen, a human being's purpose is to glorify God. The next question, follow-up to ask is, if there's a God who designed you for his glory, how effective would you say you've been at achieving that God-given purpose in your life? Would you say that you're the kind of watch that keeps time perfectly? Or would you admit that it's possible, maybe even probable, that the way that you live your life might not be in perfect accordance with God's will for your life uh, to bring him all the glory he deserves? Now, we're getting into some difficult territory here for many unbelievers. But notice what I didn't do there. I purposely didn't even mention the word sin to try and make this easier for this person to digest. That, that term sin is just so loaded with baggage, I think, for most non-Christians uh, that you may find it easiest not to even touch it and go there, Megan. Um, because you'll end up having to try and explain why their church growing up wouldn't let them eat fish on Fridays during Lent, or you know their church told them it was a sin to drink alcohol, or you'll digress into a whole separate issue, conversation of homosexuality and gender roles, and I don't agree with your definition of sin, and you just don't even need to go there. Don't, don't get sidetracked. Um, you just need to get this person to admit the possibility that if there's a God, and if he created them for a purpose and has a desire and a will for their life, that it's probable that they haven't lived up to that perfectly. And if they do that, then this is really the final question or series of questions to drive it home would be, so if there's a God who created you for a purpose, and if that God deserves your full devotion, deserves to be given total glory, not just most of the time in your life, but all of the time in every aspect of your life. And if you've fallen even just a little bit short of that, if you don't keep time perfectly, then why should he let you keep living in his universe that he created? You're broken, right? What use is a broken watch? You throw a broken watch away, don't you? And they may try now and relativize their sin at this point. Well, if I bring him enough glory and live the way I ought to enough of the time, then it would still seem to be to God's benefit to keep me around, to love me, to let me into heaven. And the really important follow-up question here is, how good do you think you'd have to be to be good enough for God? I mean, let's just assume for a minute that he is actually the God of the Bible, the God that we Christians worship him as, the, the only kind of God that I would argue is worth worshiping at all, that he is perfectly holy, that he is perfectly good, he is perfect in every way. How good would be good enough for that kind of God to measure up to a, a perfect God? And if, if you, I, I just, I think you have to get them here to try and realize and appreciate the gravity 
of even just one seemingly minor slip-up compared against the beauty and the glory of a perfect God. And once they have, then I think from there, you're teed up to share the good news with them, the gospel, that while they were yet sinners, deserving God's righteous anger and punishment of sin, uh, deserving to be the watch that gets thrown out, God sent his only son, the only one human enough to bear our sin, but the only one divine enough to, to pay for our sin, the sin debt, the fallen short of the, giving God the glory he is due, debt that we owed God. God sent Jesus to die in our place on the cross, to put to death our sin. And then you can explain the Bible's view uh, that trying to add anything to Christ's sacrifice for us, the, the presumption that maybe I don't need Jesus because I can be good enough to get back in uh, God's good graces. It's like getting the check at dinner for a few hundred dollars and scrounging around in your pocket for loose change. I mean, we just don't have it in us. Jesus is the only one uh, with the credit line, with, with the Visa black card to pay for that. And you can use whatever metaphors work for you and work for them to help them understand. But the bottom line is, Megan, to answer your question of how do I help them understand their need for Jesus, you have to help them understand sin, whether you call it that or not. If there's no sin, then they're right. No need for Christ. And, and we live in a world that more and more each day tells us the problem with our world is that we label things as sin. If we would all just accept everyone the way they are, that there's no such thing as sin, as brokenness. Every watch is perfect, just the way it's made. Um, it becomes harder and harder, but more and more important for us as Christians in that kind of culture to stand up and say, no, that's really not true. We are all broken. Uh, but it's okay because there's good news. And the only way you get the Christ that you need is through repentance and faith. He's good news only for those who admit their sin and turn from their brokenness and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Thank you, Pastor Will, and thank you, Megan, for um, such a thought-provoking question that, for me personally, got me thinking about the conversations that I'm having with unbelievers and just how important it is to um, have a sense of urgency as we talk about our faith with others. That's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online at our website at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and thanks for listening.